Hey friends, welcome back to Unshakable. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome back to my home office. Uh, today on the show, we are going in a slightly different direction. I'm pausing our current uh, church culture series to talk about a subject which is both timely and I believe important for us to understand. And yes, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see, or should I say hear, that this is an audio-only episode. Now, there's a reason for that, which I will explain at a later date. For today, I don't want to waste any time because we have a lot to get to. Today, we are talking about the war in Israel. And what's prompted me to take a break from our previous series and deal with this issue is the shocking level of ignorance that I'm seeing across some sectors of American culture and across the Western world in general when it comes to analyzing the two sides of this conflict. There is an incredible lack of moral clarity out there. There's an inability to recognize propaganda and a lack of understanding of the history and culture of that region. And it's, it's leading so many people towards bad conclusions and taking really bad positions. Listen, it's easy to formulate opinions when we're sitting comfortably here in the West, thousands of miles away from that conflict. But ask yourself the question, how many of the voices you're hearing right now actually understand the history and the culture? How many have lived it? How many are coming to a, a knee-jerk position because of their ignorance? Now listen, there are surely many people out there who are more intimately connected to Israel and to the Middle East than I am. But I do have some experience traveling in the land. And if you're a regular listener to Unshakable, you know I've done my fair share of research and study into the history and archaeology of the region as well. I've been in the deserts of the Negev, in the Valley of Zin and Beersheba, and not far from the Gaza Strip. I've walked in the midst of the religious tension that you feel on the Temple Mount and along the edges of East Jerusalem. I've led tours into the Palestinian-controlled West Bank, having to request a bomb-proof bus with a steel-plated undercarriage and sides in order to keep my travelers safe from possible terrorism. I've traveled through a roundabout near Nablus where, where there was an IDF soldier in the middle of the street in a turret, and he's spinning around with a 50 caliber machine gun trained on our bus, making sure that nobody attacks us. So I've seen a few things and I've, I've felt what it's like to live in the midst of that, that region and that culture. And I could go on. I have so many stories, but suffice it to say that there is nothing in America that truly resembles life in Israel. But more importantly than all that, I've spent a great deal of time listening to story after story after story from Israelis about what it's like to live in a place where large groups of your neighbors have made it their stated goal to kill you and to eradicate you as a people. Can you imagine that? Where you have to live in a constant state of readiness every day, that war might break up, that you might have to pick up a rifle and go to war to protect not just your homeland, but your family from being slaughtered by people who live just a few miles away. By the way, I've also broken bread with Arabs who live in Israel. Arabs who live in Israel and love Israel, even though they're Muslim. And listen, they have strong opinions about Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad. And their perspective is incredibly important and revealing, but it's interesting. It's rarely sought after by the media. 
because it doesn't line up with the narrative. Now, in coming episodes, I'm going to cover a number of issues. Let me give you a couple of just so previews real quick. I want to answer the question, is the war in Gaza really a genocide? You're hearing that word a lot. Is, is, is Israel an apartheid state? Should Israel be considered a colonizer? You're hearing that word a lot as well. Are the Palestinians really indigenous to the land? And should we be Zionists? What does that term actually mean? Should we be Zionists? So there's a lot of questions to ask and answer, a lot to discuss. But for today, I simply want to deal with one small aspect of the conflict. And I want to start with this important statement that has to be understood. Here's what it is. In this conflict between Israel and Hamas, there is no moral equivalence. There is no moral equivalence. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm referring to people out there who are saying, well, okay, what Hamas did was bad, but what Israel is doing right now is just as bad or even worse. And this is the justification being given right now for a ceasefire because in their mind, somehow Israel is not being, quote, proportionate in their response to October 7th. So let me say it again. There is no moral equivalence in this war. Now, what is Hamas all about? Well, we know because they've told the world openly. And as the old saying goes, when people tell you who they are, you should believe them. And they've told us, what is their charter? What does Hamas's charter say about their mission and their goals? Well, its official name tells you everything. It's titled the Covenant of the Islamic Resistance Movement. Their entire charter and constitution revolves around resistance. The goal of Hamas is to, quote, raise the banner of jihad in the face of the oppressors. And that is, of course, the Jews. Their mission is plainly stated. They want to establish an Islamic state across all of Palestine, and that means the eradication of Israel. From the river to the sea is the way they say it, and that gets repeated, sadly. What do they mean? From the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, the entire state of Israel in their minds must be destroyed and every Jew chased out or killed. And that was their goal six weeks ago on October the 7th. They began that morning by launching a massive barrage of rockets into Israel. Now, were those rockets aimed at military installations? No. Hamas has, for more than 15 years now, routinely sent unguided missiles into Israeli cities with the goal and the hope of killing and maiming civilians. And that morning was no different. Beginning at 6.30 a.m., Hamas fired more than 2,000 rockets into Israel on that day, aimed at Tel Aviv and other populated locations. They wanted to kill civilians. And then some 2,500 Palestinians broke through the security barrier and flooded into southern Israel. Now, some were Hamas soldiers dressed in tactical gear, but many others were simply Gazan civilians. This doesn't get reported much. Simply civilians on motorcycles wearing jeans and sweatpants and t-shirts, things like that. But they all poured out into the nearby communities, the, the Jewish kibbutzes and this, this open-air dance festival, which happened to be going on that morning. And they perpetrated the most horrendous acts your mind can possibly conceive of. 
We're talking about gang rape and torture and mutilation and beheadings and burning people alive. Shots to the head, grenades thrown into small rooms, children executed in front of their parents. One baby was even found in an oven reminiscent of the Holocaust. Friends, these were civilians. Non-combatants that were slaughtered. They weren't soldiers. They weren't the enemy. In fact, many of those killed were sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. That dance festival was billed as a celebration of peace and love and unity. These weren't right-wing Netanyahu supporters. My guess is they would have invited the Palestinians to come and dance with them. But to the attackers, all that mattered that day was their identity as Jews. And so they had to be slaughtered. The folks living in those kibbutzes, simple farmers, simple people just eking out a minimalist life in the desert alongside other families, not the enemy. Many of them left-leaning. There were actual peace activists, people who had fought for the Palestinians in terms of, in terms of uh, uh, trade agreements, in terms of getting freedom of passage in and out of Israel, and yet they were slaughtered simply because they were Jews. And then the Palestinians took some 240 hostages, babies and children and pregnant women taken back into the tunnels of Gaza to an unknown fate that may end up being much worse than a quick death. The attackers also took trophies home to Gaza, the bodies of dead soldiers and dead civilians, half-naked women who had been raped and killed, and their bodies were paraded through the streets of Gaza to the raucous cheers of the people. The people were celebrating this. Their corpses were abused. People were kicking them and striking them with objects, spitting on them, and they did it all while shouting over and over again in Arabic, God is great. It makes you sick to your stomach. And by the way, I'm not guessing about these things and I'm not listening to Israeli propaganda. The Palestinians filmed it all themselves. Many were wearing GoPros. They had embedded cameramen present to record that day because they viewed that day as their most glorious moment. Slaughtering Jews was their most glorious moment. And so it's all on film. They recorded all of the horror themselves. Now, here's the thing. It's worse than what's being reported in the West. Most of the videos haven't been released because they're, they're just too graphic. But I'll tell you something. Israel, in their efforts to get the truth out and to, to counter propaganda, have invited members of the media in the U.S. and the U.K. and also members of government to view a private screening of the full unedited videos of that slaughter. And I saw an interview with a British journalist and author by the name of Douglas Murray. This guy's a war correspondent. He's seen the worst of the worst. And he came out of that screening in a state of utter shock. He had never seen anything like it. And he said, here's what made the biggest difference. The Palestinians that day did things that not even the Nazis would do. He talked about how the stories of Nazi soldiers having to drink themselves to sleep at night because their consciences were so disturbed by what they were having to do. But he said, these Palestinians, 
That's not the way they saw it. They were in a state of elation, he said. Screaming, God is great, and and celebrating the, the chance to slit throats and to burn people alive. No conscience whatsoever. Just a state of elation that they were able to kill Jews. In the end, there's 1,400 confirmed dead, 35 of which are Americans. Another 4,500 wounded, 241 hostages taken, some of which have been returned, but others who have been found murdered inside of Gaza. And by the way, interestingly, this isn't being reported much because there's a lot of talk about Gazan civilians. Of the 241 hostages taken, it's believed that about 60 of them were taken, not by Hamas, but by ordinary Gazan civilians. Imagine the horror they're enduring right now, if they're even alive. So that's one side of the moral divide. That, that's one side of the conflict that we're talking about here, where people are talking about, oh, well, both sides are equally bad. Really? What about the other side? How should we describe Israel's reaction? How would you expect a country to react to that kind of vicious attack against its citizens? What would you expect the American government to do if that type of slaughter happened in our country? Well, what the Israeli army did was declare war against Hamas as they should have, and then they began to implement a methodical strategy to end Hamas forever. Because how can you ever again allow them to exist on your border? It would be insanity to allow them to exist. Would you want your government to show restraint and allow a group like Hamas to live within a few miles of your home? Listen, the leaders of Hamas have come out publicly and said it multiple times. If they are given the opportunity, they want to do October 7th over and over and over again until all the Jews are dead or driven out. How can you do anything but destroy that kind of devotion to terror and death? The ideology of Hamas is a societal cancer. And the organization itself is a death cult. And they will admit it openly. They've said it. You've, you've heard their, la- their leaders actually say, Israelis love life, but we love death. So if you think sparing Hamas and allowing them to continue to rule anybody anywhere in the Middle East is a good thing, your moral compass is broken. And listen, they're not good for Arabs either. You got to understand this. Hamas is not good for Palestinians because the people of Gaza have not flourished under their rule. Quite the opposite. Between 2014 and 2020 alone, $4.5 billion of foreign aid was funneled into Gaza through the United Nations. What have they done with it? Have they turned Gaza into a prosperous nation state? Have they improved the lives of their people? No. They've spent much of that money on building tunnels, hundreds of miles of concrete reinforced underground tunnels where they can hide, where they can build rockets, and where they can stockpile ammunition. Because in Gaza, according to Hamas, there's only one goal, and that is kill the Jews. So that entire ideology has to be destroyed. And listen, A recent poll was conducted by an Arab news service in both Gaza and the West Bank. So this is not Israeli. This is an Arab 
news service, and they did a poll, and 75% of Palestinians support the October 7th massacre. 76% still have a positive view of Hamas. And what that tells us is there's an entire generation of Palestinians who've been brainwashed by Hamas and by others to hate and to kill. Now, I'm going to say something that is not often spoken out loud. We're not supposed to say things like this, but this is truth. All human beings are made in the image of God and all have equal ontological value, but not all human cultures are equal. Some human cultures are inferior and defective and regressive and irredeemably wicked. And we know this from history. We all agreed that that was true about the Nazi culture. And we, most of the world at least, agrees that it was true of ISIS just recently. Well, it's time the world acknowledges that Hamas and Hezbollah and all of Iran's other proxy terrorists need to be put in that same category. So that is the IDF's mission. Israel must eradicate Hamas in order to continue to exist. Now, how do you do that? Looking at the other side of the equation, how do you do that? Well, it's not easy. And war is never clean. And war is never without collateral damage. That is just a brute fact. Check your history books. Look at what it took to destroy Nazism in 1945. Estimates are that 600,000 German civilians were killed in the world's efforts to defeat Hitler. And some 75,000 of those civilians were children. And that's horrible. And war is hell. But keep in mind, Israel didn't ask for this war. It was forced upon them by a vicious enemy. And yet still, we hope and pray that Israel can conduct the war with as few civilian casualties as possible. Of course we want that. And they've taken steps to try to do just that. They have repeatedly warned Gazans to vacate danger zones. In fact, they've airdropped hundreds of thousands of leaflets in Arabic with instructions on where to go to try to be safe. They have opened corridors for civilians to get out. They recently ceased operations for four hours a day from 10 to 2 to give people a chance to leave. And in spite of the propaganda you've probably heard, they have allowed certain types of aid to come into Gaza, including fuel, which then got stolen from the people by Hamas so that they can keep shooting rockets into Israel. Unlike Hamas, Israel uses precision weapons when they fire. They don't use indiscriminate bombing tactics. They don't launch unguided missiles into Gaza. They shoot specifically at military targets where intelligence tells them that Hamas soldiers are hiding. Now, do innocents get in the way? Yes, they always do in war. But Israel appears to be prosecuting this war as carefully as you can do it. They're held to a ridiculous standard. They're doing the best they can, I believe. And one of the biggest problems they face is that Hamas hides in residential areas. Their tunnels run under homes and hospitals and schools. 
They really do use their population as human shields. And that is an intentional strategy. You have to know this. It is a PR strategy. They will hide in those residential areas. They will put their operations under hospitals. That is proven. And they will bait the IDF into an airstrike that then kills civilians, and then they will film it and release it to the media. That is utter wickedness. Friends, I'll say it again. Listen, there is no moral equivalence in this conflict. Now, one last thought, and then I promise I'll be done. Here's how this argument is usually framed by those who support the Palestinian cause. That even if you can get them to acknowledge that October 7th was bad, they will respond with something like this. They will say, well, listen, the Palestinians are an oppressed people who are resisting their occupiers, so what choice do they have but violence? That is what we call the soft bigotry of low expectations. And it's a form of bigotry that consistently comes from the political left across the world. What they're basically saying is, well, the Palestinians are such savages that they can't do anything else but murder and pillage in response to what the Israelis are doing. That is a lie. Gang raping civilians is not resisting. Slitting the throats of children is not freedom fighting. The Palestinians have the choice to choose terrorism or choose peace. Don't take away their agency. They have the choice. For 75 years, they've had multiple chances to choose peace. And they've chosen poorly. And they would have peace immediately if they would simply lay down their arms, renounce terrorism, acknowledge the historical fact that wars have consequences and that Israel has a right to exist in the land now, if they did that, peace would come immediately. And Arabs and Jews have coexisted for a long, long time, for centuries, so we know it can be done. But right now, Hamas and its ideology has to be scraped from the earth if peace is going to come. Golda Meir, the former prime minister of Israel, is famous for once saying, peace will come when the Arabs love their children and their future more than they hate Israel. That is a truth. There is no moral equivalence here. And friends, I'll end it with that today. We have so much more to cover. We'll get there, I promise. But thanks for listening today. I'll have more for you real soon. Until then, I want you to remain unshakable and keep loving each other well. Talk to you soon.